This is your girl, Shakina, and I'm with my girls, Tor and Shara, and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome back to another tribe meeting, everyone. This is another episode. This is an episode that's going to kick off our first part of a three-part series entitled The Black Woman and Her Vote. Needless to say, we are approaching a major national election, and we want to keep the conversations that we've been having offline, and I'm sure many of you in the tribe have been having amongst yourselves. We want to make sure these conversations are brought here on our platform on the Black Woman Reborn, which we know is rooted in the Black woman's outlook, the Black woman's perspective, and the Black woman's experience. So we want to talk about the election that's coming up from that lens. So that means what does it mean to vote as a Black woman? What does politics mean to Black women? What does this upcoming election mean to Black women? What is political activism um, in our community, as well as community activism for Black women? All that, all that. We want to delve into that in this three-part series. So those are the things that we're going to unpack. Um, And starting today, I have a special, special guest, uh, my dear friend, good, good friend, a woman who has been part of my personal tribe tribe for many years at this point. And I'm so excited to have her on. She is just so fierce. She is so boss. I know her on a personal and professional level, so I can speak to both sides of her. Right now, she is serving as... Um, the director over political partners at uh, Hustle. Some of you may be familiar with that. She is a Caribbean American woman who has spent almost a decade shaping a career that is dedicated to progressive politics and partnerships. Her passion for public service has allowed her to work across a range of issues within the public and private sector, all of which have been rooted in equity, accessibility, and justice. She has served in multiple capacities and organizations and on the national and local campaigns where she has used her expertise to facilitate national political strategy and building coalitions across the country. And did I say she was fierce? I already said that y'all tribe. Please, 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 please join me in welcoming my my good friend, um, Old to me, new to you guys, Deshauna Bernard. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, Deshauna. Hey, 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 y'all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited um, to be doing my first ever podcast um, interview with with y'all on this show. Yes, girl. Welcome to the tribe. Thank you. Happy to be in the tribe. Black women always leading. So happy to be in the tribe. Come on. You better oh, say that. You, we haven't even started and you already started dropping gems. Black women always leading. Right. Yeah. Snap, snap. <laughs> so how are you today? Let's start there. I am good. Uh, lots is happening. Like you talked about, it's 2020. So wrapping up, just wrapped up a couple months ago, which feels like yesterday. Um, getting off a, pres- a presidential campaign and just hopping back in. Still in politics, just a completely different sector, but... As we talk through, we'll continue to see like how much all of it is, is intertwined. As you know, Shara, as you've seen me from as an intern, fresh off of American University's campus, all the way up to where I am now. 
Yes, and I, I, that's exactly where I wanted to start. Um, you know, I've watched you uh, grow and evolve exponentially, you know, into the political field and just really shaping the career um, into something that I feel like you've completely take ownership of, which a lot of Black women don't have the opportunity to. And I know you are such a humble woman, but I just want you to know that you are really paving a way for other Black and Brown women, both American-born and immigrants, who often feel left out of these particular spaces. So I kind of wanted to start there like to really talk about why you decided to make a career in politics. Um, you know, what shaped your career? Who were women, Black women specifically, who helped you make decisions that you made in regards to your career and the path that you chose? Well, you know, it's interesting that you're, you are starting there because often people just want to hear about the end. Um, so what you've been doing in the last couple months, like with politics, it's always a rat race. Um, and you don't get a lot of time to like sit and think about where it really, uh, where you first kind of, like they would say, fell in love with politics. So, so for me, it's actually my Caribbean upbringing. Um, so I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, and I credit not just Trinidad and Tobago, but the Caribbean region in itself for my love of politics. Like the Caribbean, as you know, is very diverse, an amazing melting pot, unique, um, a multiracial coalition, I would say, of people that you are, you, I don't, I don't think like I recognize how much uh, my heritage impacted my life until I moved to the U.S., but it is in the Caribbean where I was reading the new newspapers daily. I was looking at the news daily. I was actually participating in the political process, seeing my parents decide like who they're going to vote for for government, talking about the issues at kitchen tables or at, you know, at somebody's house, as we would say, lying or hanging out. Right. Um, so it's there where my passion for politics struck because, you know, I remember one day looking at a live session in parliament and parliament is what we refer to. Um, which is basically the uh, Caribbean vision of Congress um, and watching people like me um, in Congress advocating for issues and watching people on the opposite side come and build their case. And I was kind of like, I want to do that. Like, you know, so I started looking, admiring particularly the women and the way that they held their own in those spaces and in the way that they were showing up in their community when it came down to elections and the issues. Um, in the Caribbean, we're very outspoken. I think that just like speaks to Black people across the diaspora. So I want to you know, not really say like just us, but I think we're so very vocal, which has proven true, proven true in our history over time. Um, and we call things out for when we see, we call things out when it's not right, we call things out when it's not fair, whether it's impacting us or our neighbors. So like seeing that from Booth really helped to set, you know, chart the course. Um, and then coming here and moving to the US, of course, it was a different system of government. So now it was learning that it wasn't a parliamentary system, but a two party, -party system. But the outcomes were still the same. We were still pushing for progress and it was still a people-powered movement that I've always been enjoyed about the process. That's awesome. And it also, it reminds me of growing up and being around my parents, being at the kitchen table, um, talking about just what was happening and even hearing my dad tell stories about growing up and not seeing too much of a difference and knowing that something else needed to be done that made me want to get into the labor movement, that made me want to get into politics. Because as much as we want to say that there's like a big difference from when our parents um, were coming up to where we are, the gap is not that, that big. Oh. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the importance of, as you were talking to Shauna, I kind of reflected on um, how I grew up. 
And hearing those conversations at dinner tables, um, hearing those conversations just at the cookouts and family dinners. And for me, it kind of did the opposite. Like I didn't want anything to do with politics. And at the time when I was graduating from high school, those who, you know, me personally know that I was in Virginia Beach. I'm a DC native, but I lived in Virginia Beach throughout my high school uh, career. And I always knew that I was coming back to DC because that's where most of my family was. And my dad was like, where are we going back to DC? You know, are you going to make a career in politics? And I'm like, no, ew, no, no, no. Because for me, politics was very old white manny, you know? And so for me, just, I had no connection and I didn't see any space for me in that world. So I always knew I kind of wanted to do something that was around women's empowerment, nonprofit, something like that, that I felt I could be closer to helping people. Um, so it's funny how I still fell into this world somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Never say never, right? Oh, that's right. me too. When God has a calling over you. <laughs> okay. You thought, you thought. Right. <laughs> this is what you're doing. That was cute. That was your plan, but this is right. what you're doing. However, um, you know, I still kind of do both. I'm not deeply embedded into politics. You know, mm-hmm. I do work in labor. I started my career out as an intern in a political department for a labor union. And I worked directly on the Obama campaign, had the pleasure of meeting him twice and all of that. All of that is good. But it, it was growing up, I felt like this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. All I heard was stories around, you know, the man. I remember I always tell the story about how my grandfather used to always talk about the man. And yeah, I, I had this huge fear of the man. I didn't even know who the man was. I was and the like, man is global. The <laughs> right. man is global. So whether you are at the Caribbean kitchen table, you in the South, you in the Midwest, up North, up top. You know the man. Some way, some shape, or just a different accent attached. But Shara, to your point, this is exactly why I enjoy having these conversations. So I still have to like shout out to both of y'all for creating the space because the opposite reaction just proves to me that there's still work to be done. And I will also say it just shows to me and reminds me that politics isn't everything. So even if you try to like get away and you're like, oh, I'm not dealing with DC or, you know, oh, not you, there are ways that you can still be involved without being like, you know, directly tied to the work in some way. But I think what is important is to acknowledge that it impacts our lives. So whether you're just like, I have no idea what uh, Deshauna, Shara, y'all, I don't know what y'all talking about. I've never, you know, had those conversations at my kitchen table, but I can show you, I said, okay, but let's talk about like the day your trash get picks up. Someone decides that politically, or let's talk about what zip code you live in, which determines where your children go to school. Someone decides that politically. So the act of actually not getting involved is a political decision. And us uh, showing up as Black people, and particularly Black women in any space, is an act of political resistance, us just being here and having those conversations. So I want to add that because I think that is important to also highlight and not necessarily dismiss, because I think by calling that out, it, it invites more people in to say like, oh, okay, so... Actually, I didn't recognize how much of my life is such a political one and how much of it is control, which then opens the door for you to be like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to show up at that PTA meeting. Let me see what they're talking about. Or yes, I'm going to think about becoming a union member when workers are organizing at my job for fair wages. So, so yeah. And that is exactly why it was so necessary for us to have this conversation and bring the tribe to the table and make sure that we're educating our Black women, to know whether you try to run for, from it or not, it's in your everyday life. So I think that you hit that nail on the head. No matter how you try to get away from it or that doesn't concern me 
I don't want nothing. It, every part of it concerns you. It does. You don't realize right. that. And that's when that you get mad because even when your light bill goes up or if the groceries are too much going up <laughs> in the grocery store financially, that yeah. impacts you. Right. We can't afford in 2020, any year before that or any year after 2020 to say that politics, that the elections, that any part of this does not affect us where we we can't afford not to get involved. We can't afford not to step up and be relevant for not only our ancestors, but for our children. If we don't have children, our nieces and our nephews, our next door neighbors. We have to be our sister's keepers moving forward, period. Yeah. I completely agree. And just to kind of like wrap this part up. Um, so I think initially when I was thinking about this conversation, I was like, you know, I feel like based on the people who I talk to day in and day out, you would get the feeling that Black women um, kind of shy away from politics, from having those conversations sometimes. Um, and they feel like, you know, again, like I keep on saying that there's not a space carved out for them. The more I thought about it, as I started to prepare for this conversation, I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> that That's not necessarily true. I yeah. feel like we have made so much leeway in the political world as black women. I mean, look at Congress, mm-hmm. um, look at national representative, look at, you know, just the entire country and how the landscape look for black women in office particularly over the last five years, it has grown, right? So I would be interested in hearing your views as to what what the shift, what caused the shift. Um, At one point, I do feel like we were doing our thing when it came to community activism always because that's all we know. Mm -hmm. Um, We were doing our thing getting out of the vote because we are the largest voting block there is. I mean, we show up and we show out. But when it comes to running for office, that's something that we really never did on a large scale. But I'm starting to see that shift. Yeah. And I don't know if you, you have an opinion about that. Yeah, well, you know, similar to your your the name of this podcast about being reborn. When I was thinking about that and thinking talking thinking about the evolution, right? We're always constantly evolving. And I think like as a country, we continue to see that evolving and as black people and as black women. Like you talk, like you pointed out, like we 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 stay organizing. We this is not new to us. And like some people say we're not we're not new to this, we're true to this, right? Because we've been around, we've been doing that. So we're always evolving our tactics and how we organize to shift with the current state of the country because we have to. There's also a part of that that's attached to survival and recognizing that, okay, if we need change, where are the places of power that you know Shirley Chisholm talked about, who is also Caribbean by American, by the way, but uh, when she talked about like pulling up your your chair, having a seat at the table and pull it, pulling up your chair, I think I was saying this to like a sister friend of mine. Like I think like we're in this time now where it's like we've now pulled up all these chairs, but now we just like you know what we own the table. How about we invite you to our table? Like right. there's so much more of us now that have pulled our chairs from so many different parts started collaborating and working together so much more closely and deliberately. Um, And then even us identifying like, okay, there's a role for everyone. We talked about what God called you and, you know, figuring out what that is. 
but not everyone is going to run, but we need to see some more black campaign operatives. We need to see more people that are raising money looking like us. We know we've always been on the organizing level, people that are, you know, taking different parts of what, you know, what is a campaign and what it means to run or even training the women that needs to be run like some of these uh, women groups are doing. And I will pause to say shout out to Higher Heights because they're actually dedicated to black women running, right? Like there are other amazing national groups, but, you know, being, having a, a space, like you talked about, Shara, I think all of that coming together as one kind of helps to create that, that window of opportunity. And I believe just asking women to run period is already difficult because you ask, if I'm remembering the statistic cor correctly, it's at least six to seven times or something like that. You have to ask a woman before she says yes. So you have that. And then you're asking a woman of color. Then you have that layer. Then you're asking a black woman. Um, and then I, I'm going to bring out a good brother, Dr. Malcolm X, who talked about we're the most hated, right? So even us thinking about running and understanding the minute that we step out into public light, whether it's for a school board position or if you aspire to run for president, you already know that the attacks that is going to come and everything like that, um, that you're going to face is going to be like, you know, a double, a, a double blow. So with that being said, um, it takes us back to like, you are very correct. Like, like we have to celebrate where we have come, where I think this year, this electoral cycle, we have the most number of black women actually running. So it's like, you know, take a, take a break to recognize like, okay, we made it in a lot of ways, but then, you know, how can we now prepare for the next two years after the presidential for the midterm to come and, and, and moving forward. But I think we're on the up and up. I think it's because of the, the, the shift of the country, the shift of the people um, and us being ready for that moment to meet that shift and that change for sure. Ready. And I'm super. And we've been ready. Right. <laughs> because my, yeah. the thing that I'm most concerned about with this upcoming election is that we have, within the last two years, we've heard a lot of Black people saying that they're woke. Mm. But in what portion of your life are you woke in? Okay. And some of us are so woke, woke that we're walking around as zombies that we're not tuned in to what's really important. Mm -hmm. We're working, like we talked about on the last episode, with cancel culture. Who are we going to cancel? How are we going to cancel them? But then even with that, we're not even in tuned enough or long enough to make sure that whatever our starting goal was, that it's actually completed. So now when we're talking about the 2020 election and how you brought up with the midterm election, we can't just be worried about November 3rd, November oh. 4th, November 5th, the day before, the day after. We have to be worried about two years, three years, 10 years down the road and what that looks like for economically and politically for our community and especially for our sisters. Because like you said, we are the most hated. Whether whoever wants to recognize it or not, we know what we go through on a daily basis, mm, internally, externally, what we're dealing with, whether you have children or whether you don't have children, whether you have family or a support system. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, if you have a support system that is better for you, you have a support system and still feel like you're all alone mm -hmm. in this world because you're the one who deals with you 24-7, 365. So in this tribe, we are dedicated to making sure that we provide that space for our sisters and now being making sure that politically 
we are incorporating this space so that it is a continuation day in and day out so that we are taken care of in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And being woke, woke in every situation, not just where we think is necessary. I even, I mean, I agree with you on woke. Like I'm very cautious about that language. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've realized is that sometimes we attach ourselves to these, you know, phrases um, that, you know, has become a part of the culture so much and we're moving and we're shifting to the shifting with the tide. But if we're truly about the people, sometimes I think it requires us to like pause and realize who's getting left out. And there there are black people who don't identify. They're like, what is woke? What does that mean? Um, And I think we have to step away from that otherness in between uh, our people so much. Like for me, like everyone, wherever you are politically and however that looks like for you to become active is valid. Um, so like to your point and even saying like, you know, woke, woke or the different levels of woke or, you know, like uh, I have a friend that always goes like, think peace Twitter. And I always like, you know, you know, I'm in balls laughing every time it's said because it's so it's so true. Like everything is either a cancel culture and something someone wants to write a think piece. And I'm like, OK, this is great. The, the, the folks on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, like we're reading, we can retweet, we can requote. But then how far is that piece necessarily necessarily reaching to the person that you want to be able to take that information and become informed? So um, I agree with you when we're thinking about community and how we build that, um, you know, how we build community and the people that are the builders of that being mindful of how we do that for real. Right. Right. And we're going to really delve into that particular aspect in our part two, which we're excited about. Um, But to kind of like piggyback on what you brought up, Shakina, around the cancel culture. I'm pretty sure we all have friends who have canceled voting. Yes. Right? So let's talk about that. Like, okay, so Deshauna, do you think voting is still relevant? That's what I'm going to ask. And I'm, I'm also asking that facetiously because I think we're all on the same page. But I'm going right. to Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, that's that. I'm asking for a friend thing, right? Yeah, but yeah, we have those friends. We have those friends and family members and booze and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And and so the second part, so part one, asking for a friend, do you still think voting is relevant? Um, And part two is, what is your response to people who thinks that our vote truly does not make a difference? So yes, voting is relevant. Uh, please ensure that you are registered to vote. If you are listening to this podcast, your life depends on it. We need to get the occupants out of the White House. Um, so yeah. there's that. It is definitely uh, relevant. But I, I, I do have, um, I am in spaces and I have friends and folks that I know that are just like, you know, the Electoral College is going to decide who's our president anyway, and that type of thinking. But what I have done is kind of shifted it to the down ballot races. So like, uh, Shnika, as you said, when you talked about like, okay, after I wake up, uh, after election day on November 4th, and I'm heading back to work or whatever the case might be, I am still a resident of X county in X district. Um, and what does that look like? And who is responsible for governing um, and ensuring that, you know, if we have, which will be an economic um, hit because of the, the current pandemic that we're in, ensuring that people can get access to unemployment, ensuring that healthcare and all the different things that we need in our everyday lives is accessible to the people in community and to like, eventually to you, yourself and your family. So I often shift the question back on them 
and help them to see that, okay, you may not be feeling the presidential situation right now or the cycle, but let's think about your down ballot. Let's think about who's running for Senate in your, in your, in your state, who's running for Congress, who's running your local race, your state Senate races, right? Like mayors, governors. So thinking about that, because if anything, I think this current season that we're in presents an opportunity for us to have those discussions because when coronavirus hit, you recognize that everybody was just like, what is happening? What is going on? Why can't we get access to PPP? Why don't they just shut this down and make us safe? There was a lot of questions that are then by an extension tied to politics and it's tied to who is governing us. Mm -hmm. So when you bring that, you know, into a practical reason, you remind people like, this is why you show up to the polls. This is why you look up, like, look up, like who, who's, who's running for sheriff. Like when we think, think about policing reform and how that, you know, shows up in your community, like who's running for sheriff in, in, in where you, where you reside. So when I uh, make it, make it plain, as some people would say, you would find that people respond to that differently because they see how their lives are impacted in that moment. They then see like, oh my gosh, and this person's about to be in this seat for two years, for four years, for X number of time. This is how long I have to deal with it. And I, you know, So when you make it practical, it has helped me have conversations and I would encourage people to have that conversation that way. Talk about the down ballot races. Like, let's forget about the presidency and you could have different feelings about that. I think that is very important that we do have the right president. Um, and I plan to get the current president out of the White House. But if for any reason you are still hesitant, that does, that should still not deter you from exercising your right to vote and ensuring that your community and your voice and your vote is heard. Because that's the only way you can, you can, you can exercise it as it relates to electoral politics. One of the major things that I see is the lack of education in our community about the down ballot about the path, the history of these people who are running for office and stuff like that. Working on a lot of election campaigns myself, what is very discouraging to me is when you do call and you're trying to meet someone where they are, and, oh, I don't have time, hang up. But then when you have that one-on-one conversation with somebody, and they're like, you know what, I just didn't know. And I say to them, well, hey, did someone ever call you, tell him, try to talk to you about the upcoming election? Oh, yeah, they call me all the time. Did you take the time to listen? So that's something else. We have to realize what we need to be making time for. If you know that you don't have time to go down to that community meeting um, that they're having, but somebody took the time to call you, it doesn't matter what political party calls you because once you get the information, you can do the mm-hmm. research on your own. And I can guarantee you that somebody else from another party is going to call you and then you can call compare you whatever. Mm-hmm. But take the time to get the education. If you don't know where to start looking, we have got to stop hanging up on people that are coming to our, that are calling our house to give us this information and stop closing the doors on people that are taking the time out to make sure that you and your family are being taken care of, and that you're being educated when they take the time out of their day, because they could have easily been yeah. doing something else other than knocking on your door trying to educate you. No, I was going to say, and here's the thing, is that when we talk about getting educated and getting information, try, well, we, we don't mean um, open up your Instagram and open up your Facebook and, and see what people are saying. Please, please. We know that we are living in a microwave society and y'all want y'all information in bits and bytes. And it has to be 
be about 60 characters or less for you to retain that information. However, when it comes to the election and politics and who you are deciding to vote on and the issues, please know that this, this is the time for you to kind of step away from social media to really get a better understanding of what the issues are. So when it comes to, you know, Shakina saying that a lot of people have that lack of education, I, you know, I really do hope that nobody takes offense to that. It's like across the board, and I don't care how much you know about elections and the po- mm-hmm. you always can learn more, like learn about the candidates, um, attend your town halls, your virtual town hall meetings as they're moving to now. Um, there's a lot of information online outside of social media where you can find out how particular candidates have voted in the past. Um, yep. When they thought nobody was paying attention, but just, you know, the information is still out there, their voting records, all of that stuff, you're going to want to know. That's part of the educating yourself on it. And then, you know, when people are having these conversations, I know that people don't even take time to sit out down at dinner tables no more like they did when I was growing up. So when we were talking about, you know, hearing stuff at the dinner table, that doesn't happen in the way that it used to. But you go ahead, get yourself some good, good friends. Just like the tribe, we are your tribe. We're going to have these conversations. Tune in. When we have our lives, tune in. When you see other Black women having these conversations, don't say, oh, I don't have nothing to add to that conversation. Sit back and listen. And you're going to be able to get educated on certain things that you may not be, you know, we can talk about twerking on Friday night. Friday morning, let's talk about who we need to be voting for and why. Right. And I agree with that so much because even me being in politics like over a decade, you know, I still am forever learning. I still like, you know, I lived in Massachusetts when I was on the presidential with Senator Elizabeth Warren, moved back into PG County. I'm looking up, you know, when before I, I put my mail in my ballot, like, OK, who am I exactly voting for? Let me look this up. It's a Google search away. Um, you know, and staying informed, listening to the podcast and like saying like, okay, let's see what, what conversations are happening culturally and making that relevant to what's going on in the political scene so that I could be informed. And I'm not just like looking at a hashtag that's trending or someone put one post and that's what I'm going to believe. I'm like, that's Bible. That's it. But ensuring that when I'm casting my vote or when I'm having a conversation, uh, I, I, I feel informed and then also feeling empowered to ask a question. Well, I read such and such and such. Do you know anybody that knows? I remember when before I, I had a question about, um, uh, I can't remember who it was, someone that was running for school board. And I text someone that was living in, in PG County to be like, you know, I just got back, girls. So like, you know, let me know, is this is this good? Because I'm trying to, and, and then she was like, oh yeah, like, you know, X, Y, and Z and was, help, was ready to ask me. So like, like you said, Shar, like building your tribe is as equally important to, to staying informed and creating those spaces for yourself, you know, to ask those questions. The last thing I would say on the, um, you know, respecting people that are reaching out. I definitely agree. Uh, uh, texting, as you know, I am in that industry now with Hustle has become the way that so many people have started reaching out for that very reason. People always, I don't got time, I, you know, call me back, whatever the case might be, but you get a text and the information is literally at your fingertips. So that's a, that is one of the reasons you have seen an uptick in campaigns and different uh, groups that are doing electoral work using text messages to reach out to voters and literally meet them where they are. Right. And so real quick, Deshauna, and like I, I made a point where I was like, I'm not going to hound you to talk too much about 
<laughs> your your experience with the Warren campaign, but I know that you can speak to it while speaking directly. Um, was there, and you don't have to talk about, you know, specifically the Warren campaign, but out of your entire political career, because it came up a couple of times as you were talking, um, from beginning, from intern, from American University up through now at um, a director level um, in the political um, uh, uh, position, was there ever a time where you felt unseen and unheard as a black woman in the work that you do? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like more of us have be become a, a way more like very comfortable in sharing that. Um, I mean, shoot, look at Michelle Obama. She was an entire first lady and so was still talking about um, the challenges she faced as showing up as a black woman in different rooms. So there are definitely times throughout my career that um, I could point to to remember those moments where it's either you say an idea and then, you know, the white boy package is completely different. It's like, oh, brilliant, brilliant, you know, <laughs> like things like that. And you're just like, you know, but that's exactly, you know, I just said that, um, you know, having those moments or, you know, um, microaggressions, you know, name it all. I think so many of us have been there, um, done that. I think if anything, what I would say is when I was a little bit more junior, still figuring out my putting, figuring out myself and how I wanted to show up. But the minute that I made a conscious decision that I will be deliberate about calling things out respectfully. Um, and sometimes if I needed to like, you know, turn it up a little bit notch, that can happen too. Um, but with that being said, I, 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 when I think about those moments, I also appreciate my growth in those, in those moments. And I also appreciate having a tribe because it always, like I said, it happens to so many black women in politics. So having your tribe to be like, Hey, X, Y, and Z happened. Like how best should I think you, you think I should handle it? Or I want to address that conversation that came up or that tone in that meeting with this person that addressed, you know, that, you know, made a comment directed at me, you know, could you review this email before I hit send? Right. So like, you know, things like that I've seen over the years where I no longer look at it as like, you know, this moment woe is me, but like, I just celebrate my growth. Um, and I continue to make that, um, I continue to make that point because I think it's important for more of us to talk about those moments, but talk about moving past them, um, and creating space for them. So like whoever is coming behind, they could, you know, they have the tools in their toolkits. Uh, yeah, I completely agree, Deshauna. I think that has been my experience in many, many spaces, especially when you are in rooms where you're the only Black woman, um, sometimes the only Black person in general, but particularly when you're the only Black woman. Um, and this is the situation where you see um, the difference between black woman and white woman and sometimes it may feel on the outside that we're fighting the same fight because we're both women but when we're in the same room sometimes you you're going to see that difference because you're going to see that no 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 you are standing alone as a black woman uh, and there's been times where like you said Deshauna I've said something in a room and the even now you said the white man but even the white woman has repeated what I said and may use more flowery language. You know, she was up on her SAT cards. You know what I'm saying? She <laughs> she knows the three, four syllable words that I didn't use. And all of a sudden the room is all engaged. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. So, you know, I've definitely experienced that, um, that feeling of being unseen and unheard. Um, and Shakina, I don't know if you have that same experience as well. 
So, of course, I think just as a Black woman in general, we all have these moments in time that we can remember and reminisce on. But I'm going to go back to even being in school, elementary school, middle school, high school, and going to private school. So a lot of times our parents, when they reach a certain status as Black people, okay, well, I'm going to try to, I'm going to put my child in the best school. Nine times out of 10, that's a private school, how they feel. We're going to spend this extra money. get. But the majority of those kids, we become even more of a minority. Yeah. And we learn very early on what it's like to be segregated, even though we're not in the 60s anymore. And doing doing class projects. So when we talk about Black women reborn, we're healing and we're going through these things even as children that we have to reset. So I can remember working on a class project and being one of only two Black girls in the class and being partnered with a white girl and coming up with the idea, doing the work, and feeling like in the in presenting it and she saw moments where she could come in and talk and totally took over the project and ended up getting a better grade than I did because she was more vocal in the meeting. I mean, you know, in the, um, when we were doing, you know, talking to presenting doing the presentation, yeah, right. Doing the presentation. And it was that one part that they scored her higher on, but she kept cutting me off. Like that sticks out to me in my mind the most, even in being a part of labor and different community organizations being sometimes still that only black person in the room mm -hmm. and not I'm feeling like I'm not being heard but when I'm not being heard that also makes me feel like my community is not being heard that yeah. we're not being recognized as a whole and then that also then you have to go from there to making sure you don't turn into the angry black woman okay do I digress and let them have that or is this where I say, like, no, I'm not going to allow you to cut me off. I'm not going to let you take my idea because that's what I said. Mm -hmm. And like Shara said, oh, well, you use a couple of more syllables. Let's not get it confused. I know those same words. I just chose to use in this Yeah, yeah. I think the, the story that you just gave um, about your project and the girl, like how you just described that, is such a great metaphor that we can use as to why it is important for us to vote um, and to have seats at tables. And just to kind of go back, I wrote down what you said, Deshauna, like we've pulled up enough chairs. Now, now we, it's time for us to own the table. Like that's where we are now. I love that. That's going to be a quote that we're going to put on social media because that's such a powerful thing that I want to pin, but that's why it's important. Because like you said, is that it is about representation. It is about, our voices being heard because 
you know, we are, we can say that we're loud as black women and that's what we are, you know, stereotyped as and people perceive us as that way. But when it comes to our voices being heard as far as the things that we care about, the things that matter to us most, that's what our voice is, not about us yelling. And the only time you hear us yelling is when we are um, defending police brutality and we're standing up for black men, uh, men in our community as usual, but we care about other things, right? So from 2018, until now, you know, they polled Black women and they said one, three things that consistently come up as three major things that Black women find important. Uh, number one is uh, economic inequality and the wealth gap. Number two is racial inequality. And then number three is healthcare. Economic inequality and the wealth gap, racial inequality and healthcare are the three top issues that consistently come up as important for Black women. So in those areas is where we need to, our voices to be heard. We're heard in racial inequality. I think we got that down pat. But when yeah. it comes to economic justice and fairness in that area, we need to be heard more. When it comes to healthcare, come on, y'all. Because we're yeah. seeing a disparity. That, come on. That's a whole separate podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. And then, so I think it's our job to continue to make those connections, right? We have yeah. to. I started out in my career as an organizer. That's where I started out. I did internships and I was working in the political department. But then when it came to after my internship, I, I got smack dab into organizing. And organizing, what we do is we talk about the issues. It's like you said, Deshaun, it's not even about the 2020, who's the, who's the, um, the candidates. It's about what issues do you care about? And let me help you make that connection because there is a connection. It is. It is. And, it, and it, it's actually like, you know, why I worked for Senator Warren, because, you know, I'm a black woman and like we can call us elephant in the room. It was like, oh, but this is a white candidate. And there was a slew of very qualified women running, including a black uh, candidate who I think is extremely qualified. And I, I see that she's on the rise to be considered for VP. Um, but when you point out those three tough issues that impacted black women, like Senator Warren is a beast on economic um, injustice and calling it out and has been calling it out and flagging that the way that black and brown people were targeted by big banks and all of these predatory lenders and all of the things designed to always keep us behind in bondage, um, not give us access to, 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 to home buying or even the student loans that we are burdened with um, three to four times more than like some of our white counterparts. I think it's up to 10 times if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that we are, to, we tend to borrow over, um, white students. So when you start connecting the dots of how like your student loans, then when you, you, you go to college, they tell you, you got an education, you leave it all this debt, this debt could now, you can't pay your student loans on time because you can't get a right job. Or when you get your, the right job, you're paid um, much less than the white woman that's probably doing the same job. So now you have to pay your student loans and then you miss in payments, which then impacts your credit. Now you can't buy a house, <laughs> right? So like when you start really connecting the dots of your life and seeing how much, like to your point, Shara, about the economy and how important it is for economic justice to be on the forefront is one of the reasons why I worked for her, right? And she was able to kind of bring a racial analysis in all of these things. So we want to talk about housing, let's talk about race. We want to talk about student loan debt, let's talk about race. We want to talk about 
um, the valuing the work of black women. Let's talk about that and what that means. Um, and it's important for us as, as black women to find those spaces and take up space. So whether it's on a presidential uh, 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 campaign, whether it's becoming an organizer in a national, you international, one of the biggest unions that support working class folks, whether it's like you're a teacher in a school and you're observing something in the cafeteria, but really creating spaces and speaking up um, when you see the issues um, and building community around that. So I think it's, it's, it's so important. And I am excited about where we're going because I think like for all of us, you know, when you talked about the story of, you know, being a child, I think like, you know, coming now, like, look at you, like hosting right. a podcast, creating space so that that little girl that comes can hear it or that mom will be informed or whoever to be like, oh, that's what goes on in these private schools or whatever it, 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 it needs to, it needs to be um, to bring us forward. Looking ahead, looking toward um, 11 to 12 weeks from now, 2020 election, um, I think, you know, not, me knowing you two women, I, I don't think none of us on in this space right now is like so ecstatic about <laughs> having to vote for who is on the, you know, um, we won't say ain't nobody that pressed to vote for Biden. Okay. We're going to just say it. All right. We, we all in the same, we're in the same boat. Okay. All right. Um, but I think as black women, we are our vote. Our vote is powerful. But I think we are always in the position where we have to vote on um, harm reduction. And we're never in a space where we are actually voting in a way that is truly representing the things that we care for, okay? That's one thing. Um, but, you know, I've already kind of put out there who's gonna get my vote, not just, you know, I'm not all that excited about it, but he's going to get my vote mm -hmm. through harm reduction. Um, but Deshauna, as we start to wind things out and look forward, what does it mean to hold politicians accountable? Even when it comes to the presidential election, when it comes to these down ballot races, when it comes to midterms, what does it mean to actually hold these politicians accountable? Because as we've already said in the beginning, it doesn't stop on election day. It doesn't stop in November. What does that mean? So it, it really means like to be like blunt to like pull up, like pull up on them. Like, you know, like if you, you just, it's, it, you were um, very blunt and saying like, listen, I am not excited. Right. So then my follow up question would be like, why, why is that? And you might have attached to some type of issue you felt like he could have done better on, or just the fact that like, no, here I am voting for yet another white guy to like be president, right? Um, so let me see what he's doing for me. So then um, that might prompt me to say, okay, well, take a look at his black agenda, like his plans for black America. Maybe there's something in there that will get you excited, right? And then if you see something in there that you like, no, I need you to do more on, then you need, you need to say that. And I think that, again, speaking to the moment that we're in, you are actually seeing a lot of that. You've seen people call out Joe Biden as much as they're like, listen, I'm going to vote for you, but... Um, and I think using that like is, is powerful, right? Because that is using your voice. That is exercising your political power to say like, you need my vote. Like you want me to show up in the poll. Like, let's be clear. We all have the same goal to get rid of Trump and I'm looking forward to your administration, but I want to see what that looks like. It might, holding him accountable might be like, we want um, a certain person to, uh, you know, we want to see what your uh, cabinet is looking like. I know he committed, for example, to sharing what his administration is going to look like prior to the election. 
if time is passing and people aren't seeing him, you know, being true to that, be like, listen, buddy, give us something to get excited about. Can you show us what an administration under uh, uh, under a Joe Biden presidency is going to look like? Right. Um, and not just like on a Joe Biden level, but even in your in your in your districts. Right. Um, in your counties, et cetera find out who are the elected officials that represents you. And if there's something that is in your county that is disturbing to you that you don't like, there is a, a telephone line that directs you to the office. Go there, leave a couple of messages. They listen to them. There are emails that you can send. Send an email, they read it because they understand that, you know, one constituent with a problem, multiply by 10, then multiply by another 10, people talk so they don't want to have anything that you know spirals necessarily out of control they may say like don't be surprised some representatives have picked up their phone called people or put people in their office to be like can you please follow up with my constituent about this water leak or whatever it might be so i think like that's what accountability look looks like because essentially our taxpayers dollars uh, you know is giving them their salary um, and we're taking our time to go out and vote them and put them into elected office to then govern on our behalf. So I think like, yes, I get it that people hear the accountability over and over and they're just like, all right, everybody says that, but we've seen it work from even the healthcare bill passing. So when people are saying make calls and push for this issue, like that's what drives it. Um, and that's when we talk about people power movements um, and ensuring that the, pe the, the people in power continue to serve on our behalf. So hold them accountable. Pull up is my response. Right, all day long. The last question that I'm gonna um, ask and that I believe that the tribe needs to know. Um, Biden has talked a lot about the possibility of there being a black woman vice president, mm -hmm. which I think excites us. But I don't want us to get so excited in the fact that she's a woman or the fact that she's a black woman without laying out what's our agenda and what's our expectation of her. Because it's so easy to get into certain places and get consumed about consumed with what's going on ar around you and forgetting about what your purpose was and why people actually voted, um, voted you in that position. So what do you think if he does choose a black woman vice president what should us, what should we as a tribe expect from her and be holding her accountable to? Yeah, so I think that a lot of this is that, you know, essentially as a vice president, she will be signing on to the agenda of uh, President Biden. So I think that whoever um, she is, if he picks a Black woman, that we have to remember to extend grace because there is only but so much that she can do, but we can rest assured that because, you know, we can hold our elected officials accountable, we now have a space and a lane to occupy as Black women to elevate our issues, right? So there might be issues that we would love to see uh, her champion that we can elevate. And then we know that we have us and a representative of us and for our issues as a partner to the president of the United States. So I think that, you know, once, if he decides that it's a black woman, we, there is an excitement that people can, um, like to your point, naturally attach themselves to, to be like, okay, I see me, I see me in a position of power. And then we ourselves um, should organize on bringing that agenda together. There are gonna be different women groups, uh, community groups that say like, okay, now that we know 
what do we want to see? What is it missing? What, what have we not heard Joe Biden say? And that uh, allows us to get invited into the room to put forward those positions for her to advocate on our behalf. But I think that, you know, the reason why I bring up Grace is because we have to remember that she's there to be a partner to the president. Um, and we want to position her to be a good partner to the president, right? Um, but then also, we also want to position her, position her to be a partner to the community and Black women as well. So I think that's, you know, the most that we can do for now because the conversation is still very much happening. So I will stay tuned to see if it is a Black woman. I will also say if it is not a Black woman, like we should still be excited. I could understand that there is a contingent of women that, you know, definitely wants it to be a Black woman. But if it's not, I do not think that means our issues are anything less. I think if anything more, we push that, like we double down on the efforts to push harder to hold her accountable to be like, okay, great. Now that you're here, the largest voting block has something to say um, because you uh, you need us to win. So we need to ensure that you are representing our issues and you're keeping it at the forefront. Absolutely. Well, on behalf of the tribe, again, Deshauna, we want to thank you so much for joining us for this first part of the Black woman in her vote. Um, and just a final thoughts, do you have any final thoughts on anything that we spoke about today or how people can get more involved, especially Black women and where they should go? Yeah, um, my final thoughts would be that, you know, there's a, there are a lot of easy ways to get involved now, particularly that we're in this pandemic, we're home, you know, we're under quarantine, like we talked about information being at your fingertips. So I would encourage in my final thoughts of people to like really use this time to like dive in, you know, before we are busy sometimes now, I feel like some people are even more busy, but I think like this pandemic has created different pockets where we're forced to be still for a bit. Um, and they, they, to me, when we're still, it gives us opportunity to really think through our lives, think through the moment that we're in. And as they're listening to this podcast, think through like, you know, I really resonated with the different points that the women here uh, shared. And let me let me take that step and, and do get a little bit more informed. So my final thoughts will be encourage folks to get informed, particularly as we're getting closer to November. The other thing that I will say is take care of ourselves as Black women. Like we talked about the labor, the work, the trauma we experienced, the microaggressions, but we didn't get to like self-care in there. Um, so I have been being um, way more deliberate with self-care as of late. So I, you know, every opportunity that I, I get, I drop that nugget. So I will elevate this year. Like, you know, plant your garden, right? Um, do that workout class, live, you know, become a trainer, like, you know, try that dish, like whatever it is that you know that you need for your outlet and you need to create for your a sacred space, whatever you, well, you know, whatever you practice for worship or whatever ritual, I will encourage um, the women and black women in particular that are listening to really lean into that because that's the only way that you can continue to go forward. You need it to be whole and that means taking care of yourself and pouring into yourself before, before you can pour into others. Absolutely. And again, and again, a thousand times over from the tribe, we thank you for being at this tribe meeting. The tribe, now that you're listening, remember, November is coming and we have to step up as Black women and do what is necessary to be our sister's keepers. We must stay relevant in all spaces, even when people tell us that there's not enough room for us. Make room for yourself be heard, 
sit at the table and make sure that we are deliberate and that you are deliberate. Make sure you subscribe to our Instagram our channel at The Black Woman Reborn, the Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn, as well as our Spotify and Podbean at The Black Woman Reborn. We post every first and third Friday of the month on Podbean and Spotify. You can catch us live on Facebook every last Saturday of the month at 8 p.m. Until next time, see you at the next tribe meeting. It's a